Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith America podcast, volume 100-something. And it's starting to get cool out in North Carolina where I live, and I love it, man. Uh, it's my favorite time of year. I love the fall. The problem with living in, in North Carolina where I do is fall typically lasts about 10 days, maybe two weeks, and then all of a sudden it's so cold you don't want to be outside. But we've uh, we've been building a bunch of fires in the backyard and, and hanging out and having a couple drinks and listening to great country music last night. Uh, as Travis and I tape this right now, it is Monday morning, October 19th. Travis? Yep. 19th. October 19th. And last evening, uh, sat out in the backyard with some friends and, and kind of went down a Brooks and Dunn rabbit hole and just had the best time listening to those songs and, and remembering how amazing they are and how unbelievable their catalog of work is. It's just one song after the next, after the next, that when it comes on, whether however you consume your music, whether that's Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon Music, I have all three of them on my phone because I'm a little bit crazy about if I want a song, I want it right now. And like you take Garth Brooks, for example, you can't get Garth Brooks on anything but Amazon. So if I want to listen to Garth, I click on the Amazon app. If I want to listen, if, if, if there's a, a, a song that, I'm not finding on the Amazon app. I flip over to Spotify. So, uh, but we, we had so much fun just sitting out by the fire. I don't know what it is about fire and water, but I can sit there all night long and just stare at both of those. If I'm on the lake, I can just sit there and stare at the water. And if I'm sitting by the fire, I can just sit there and watch those flames pop and and really enjoy it and be introspective while having great fellowship with my friends. I know a lot of y'all can relate especially those of y'all who grew up in the country and, uh, and, and kind of know what that's all about. But what, what's the one Brooks and Dunn song that just, just gets you going? Uh, all of them. I mean, like, I, again, like last night, let me just open my Spotify. And I mean, I have this, I have, all I did was I opened up Spotify and I typed in Brooks and Dunn because I, I, as I was sitting there, I was just like, you know what, man, I just want to hear Brooks and Dunn. And so when I did that, let me see. All right, here's the, my search. So it starts with Neon Moon, then it's Boot Scoot and Boogie, then it's Brand New Man, then it's Brand New Man with Luke Combs. I was just going to say the Luke Combs version, man, that thing just hits. Well, not only does it hit, I mean, what an unbelievable experience for him and for them for that matter uh and i don't know if you remember this we interviewed ronnie dunn on marty smith's america two summers ago maybe? i was gonna say in the infancy of this podcast do you remember what he said when i asked him who impresses him in today's country music the first person he said luke combs is gonna be a mega star i and didn't remember I that but now that you say it, I do. He did. And it and and we didn't know at the time that they'd cut brand new man together. So it all came together when I saw that that either Luke told me they did it or or we heard it for the first time. I was like, no wonder Ronnie said that. I know because they've been about, in the dang studio together. What I love about Brooks and Dunn too is they didn't need to go back and cut the song with this, you know, at the time a person that was 
not not the huge – I mean, he was a hit then, but not as big as he's now. They didn't have to go back and recut that song and do it with him, but they wanted to. And, it, like, it just shows that they're not just going to sit on what they've done and just be good with it. Yeah, you're right, but don't, don't get it twisted. It also – they were smart enough to know – based on his first couple singles, which, as we know, I think his first eight or nine went number one, some stupid number. They knew, they saw the trajectory. And so, while it, it's cool as hell for Luke, it was smart as hell for Kicks and Ronnie because then it injects them into an entire younger millennial demographic that may not have any idea how amazing they are. Agree. And, right? I mean, it was a very mutually – beneficial moment for all of them but when it comes to like my favorite 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 brooks and dunn songs you're gonna miss me when i'm gone is is tip of the spear neon moon is right up there with it i love how long gone um i I mean it's just like i love that guitar at the beginning um I, you know, I could just go on and on. And those of you who are listening listening to this podcast today who are hardcore 90s country fans like I am, we could just go on and on and on. Like, Alpha had forgotten. Uh, I had forgotten about the song, The Long Goodbye. As it plays itself and it just kind of, you know, it hops around and, and whatnot. And if you like a song, it will then, thereby the algorithm picks up on the fact that you like that song and it kind of, takes you down this path of similar types of music and and when that when the long goodbye came on that very first few notes I looked at Laney and Laney looked at me and we both like melted like oh my gosh I forgot about this song and so it was just really fun and then after I'd had a couple pops um, I opened up Twitter just to see what happened in the NFL that day and I, it was the very first tweet that I saw was somebody wrote me about Reno by Doug Supernall. And the note was, Marty, I'm sitting here having a couple. And I believe that Reno by Doug Supernall is one of the most underappreciated or underrated uh, songs in 90s country. And I was like, oh, no, no doubt about it. So, Then here's what it says. Kyle C, it's at Kyle underscore con five. Marty, I'm sitting here having a few drinks and listening to some tunes. Is Reno by Doug Supernall one of the most underrated songs of the 90s? Well, absolutely it is. And and if y'all don't know it, get on one of those streaming devices and find it. So anyway, yeah, we had a blast and, and I could just sit around and deconstruct 90s country songs all day i love to when one comes on and i'm listening to the words and the turns on phrases and the way that they structure the songs i immediately go to google and wikipedia and find out who the writers are and then i'm down the writer rabbit hole oh damn that guy wrote this too or whatever and i just love doing that i think Uh, mine my brooks and dunn song would be uh my maria is one of my favorite songs it's amazing no doubt I mean, look, dude, we could go on and on for days. My buddy Tony that, that we were having some cold ones with, he wanted to hear Red Dirt Road. Oh. And, of course, Red Dirt Road is just, I mean, it's iconic. And 
Lainey and I had the great opportunity a few years ago, and it's I, it's probably several years ago now. Uh, Kix and Ronnie did a residency at Caesars with Reba McIntyre. And the very first night that they did that, that residency, Lainey and I got invited out by their management. And I got to sit at this table. Dude, it was the weirdest thing. I sat at this media table before the show with kicks on our far left or uh, no, no, I think it was Ronnie on our far left, Reba in the middle and kicks on the right at the head of the table. And then we were all sitting around this like dinner table. It was probably 20 media and like Robin Leach was there asking, <laughs> asking kicks and Ronnie questions. And I had all these questions prepared and I was just sitting there stupefied, man, like dumb founded. I mean, just awestruck that I got to sit there with them. And I asked them a couple questions and they're probably really stupid questions. I don't remember what I asked them, but um, now I've had the opportunity to interview both of them. And I actually did an article a few years ago on the honky tonk truth video. And the Dale Earnhardt was in that video with kicks and Ronnie. And I wrote this piece for ESPN.com about how that happened and their memories of him. They were great friends with big E and of course, Kicks and Big E really favored one another in the in their looks, in the way that they look. And so they played off of that in the video, and they told the backstory of being at Indianapolis at the Brickyard and how these girls were looking at Kicks and going, "That's him, that's him." And and Kicks is like, "Oh yeah, you know, feeling himself." And they thought he was Earnhardt. And <laughs> so just awesome, man. I could go on and on about it, uh, but. We have an amazing show today for y'all, and we've done some great interviews, including with, with Ronnie Dunn and, and, and other various country music stars on Marty Smith's America. But this one today, Travis, I don't think it's a reach. I don't think it's a reach to say this is the most, one of like the most honest, direct, vulnerable interview we may have ever done on this platform. That's fair, right? That's fair. And I would say, out of any of our interviews going into it, you probably had a good guess of where it was going to go, or you could at least hit on something with what you saw on TV from this person, Steve Smith senior and what the interview was, is not the no, same. And, and I've known Smitty personally for a decade now, probably. Uh, of course he is going to be a hall of famer. Uh, he certainly deserves to be a hall of famer you need to look at his numbers. If you don't understand, if you don't know, you need to know. And he is just a fascinating person and uh, has a, has a very unique worldview and someone that I admire tremendously uh, in, a, in so many areas. And I can't wait for y'all to hear, Hear this. I mean, uh, I, I'll, I'll, here's, your, here's your cliffhanger. Here's your tease, as we say in the TV business. I can't wait for you to hear his answer when I ask him what level of importance being a pro football Hall of Famer carries in Steve's soul. I'll just leave it there because you, when you hear his answer, you're gonna, it's going to stop your clock. Before we get to Steve, 
Also want to remind y'all to check out Stu Gott's podcast, Stupidity. I think Stu actually had Steve on recently, right, Travis? They had him on a couple weeks ago, but here's a shocker. Uh, where their interview went with him and where this one's going to go aren't exactly down the same road. Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me one bit. If y'all need to laugh during these crazy times, Stu's going to have you gut busted. Download and subscribe to Stupidity and Marty Smith's America wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review if you'd be so kind. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, if you have a question, or maybe even a guest idea. We'd love to hear them all. Subscribe, rate, and review, not only to Stupidity, but please do the same for Marty Smith's America. All right, let's fire it up, Travis. Here is Steve Smith, senior, former Carolina Panther, former Baltimore Raven, and all-around fascinating dude. So it's my great pleasure to welcome in to Marty Smith's America, a buddy of mine, a guy I've known for a while, and somebody that, even though I've known, is still kind of mysterious to me. So I'm excited to, to welcome Steve Smith Sr., former Carolina Panther great. Of course, had a stint with the Baltimore Ravens that we Carolinians don't really think about. We, 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 don't, even, we, don't, we don't think about that part of Steve's career. Uh, but, man, let's get started with your podcast. You got, you got a brand-new podcast called yep. Cut To It. And why was the podcast format something you were interested in, and what should we expect to hear from you on that? You know, Marty, first of all, I respect the heck out of what you've done, the ability for you to cross over between NASCAR and college football, and just your palate is so full and just has so many different things on there. Um, and now being – in the media, understanding, you know, really what goes into it. You know, a lot of guys sit here and say, oh, I can do this or, oh, that's easy. You know, I've gained a lot of respect um, for certain media. When you, can, <laughs> when you can tell they do the work, right? And then also, you know, I think as far as for myself is learning all the ins and outs, the day-to-day. -day. We do football games and you do NASCAR and I do interviews and you do interviews as well but a lot of people don't realize how much time is taken and put on a cutting room floor right? that's right you may spend two, two, two hours with someone yep. and get if you're lucky a 10 minute run time 10 minutes a, it, 10 minutes it's is a, a movie long. on tv bro Absolutely. So, uh, so I, I just wanted to tell you that. So, you know, so, thank you. Um, it means the world to me, brother. Uh, you know how much I respect you, yeah. and and I'm so grateful to hear you say that. Thank you for your kindness. So, I mean, it's the truth, right? You know, uh, facts don't have feelings, right? It, it, it's it's true or it's, it's not. Um, so, I mean, taking a long route of around it is, uh, to be honest, I hated podcasts, right? When I say hate, I'm talking about. I'm the type of guy, which probably wouldn't surprise you, is like, I'm, let's use grapes, for example, something simple. Do you like grapes? Nope. Have you ever tried them? Nope. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so a buddy of mine uh, who is actually a co-host uh, on, on the Cut to a Podcast, Gerard Littlejohn, he was like, yo, we should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. We should do a podcast. And he was, he was pushing me to do one. And I was like, all right, I'll do one. But initially I was like, nah, I think they're stupid. He was like, well, have you ever listened to one? No. <laughs> and so he's like, well, how do you know you wouldn't like to do it? I said, well, for me, I, I, my grandpa, my grandfather, 
my grandmother, my mom, and my dad, they, they, they raised me as a community. And I was, I, I've gravitated more towards my grandpa, which is old school. Um, I know what I like and I know what I don't like. Right. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. And just to kind of show you how much I admire you, it's kind of like when you were talking about your grandmother, um, how she was, she would work uh, in the yard and how she would be, and she just knew how she wanted things. That's it, dude. Right. And, uh, and so I kind of identify with that. And so I was raised by some, 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 as they say, old heads. Right. And you like what you like. And if you, and there's nothing you can do to convince me. The two and a half years later, I finally said, all right, I'll do one, but I'll do it my way. And my way was, uh, um, I had heard hot boxing with Mike Tyson. And what was intriguing about it is the episode with him and Mike Epps. And he's discussing how Mike Epps and him were in the same juvenile system uh, when they were younger. And they actually crossed paths and didn't even know it wow. when they were young men. And I just found that that was interesting because I, I grew up watching boxing. And there's so many things about Mike Tyson that are published. And there are so many things about Mike Tyson that people don't ask. Right. Like a football player like myself, people go, oh, he's a, he's a hothead. He's this. He's that. He's a dumb. He doesn't know anything. I like I, you know, I, I, back in the summer, we were talking about, um, you know, systemic racism. And I use the example of you want to know systemic racism. You talk about things that maybe are in things. And I use the example of a job application. When you look at a job application, it says African-American. It says Latino-American. It says, uh, you know, what other other Indian American or Native American, but Caucasian doesn't say American. You know why? Because that's the standard of the United States. Hmm. And someone commented and said, when's the last time Steve ever filled out a job application? Well, the funniest part is I, f I filled out, even in my plan days, I filled out several because I took a two-year internship with Morgan Stanley. Also tried out, I did a job application, was trying to work for Pepsi, right, to learn how that stuff works. Um, I own some businesses. So I understand, I'm well, I'm a little bit more diverse than the perception that I give off. And so this is a great opportunity through the podcast to really show there are sometimes I'm lazy on camera. Or I, la I was lazy as a football player where I cursed and just went for the easy route, which is all... Uh, screw you versus really going down that road because people don't really want, as you know, people don't really want athletes to show their education. That doesn't play in the narrative that, that benefits them. And so that's, uh, so I started the podcast and really for us, the podcast is about asking the questions that people don't want to, are afraid to ask. Like they always ask, Oh, what was it like catching that pass? For me, what was going on, going on in your life? when you were playing really good, because a lot of athletes who are playing successfully good, when they are killing it on the court, a lot of fans don't know their life are in shambles off the court. They, their mother may have a terminal disease, their, their parents. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Thomas, the little basketball player for Indiana, uh, the, the Boston Celtics, he lost his sister and went out there and balled, right? Because that was his sanctuary. That was his time to just leave everything out on the court and he could not worry about the pain and the anguish that he was going through at that time when he lost his, his, his sister. But he went out there 
and he beat that rim up and he beat his opponents on the court the way he was feeling, which was he was hurting and he didn't care who got in his way. He was going to do his job. And I love to hear, I love to give the athletes those stories and opportunity to that platform to tell their story because mainstream media doesn't care that when a guy catches a pass, his mother may be dying or his dad died hours before the game to James White, you know, how that young man, what he's, what he's going through and how emotionally distraught he is to lose his father, right? Not all black athletes, not all athletes' fathers are in jail, right? To, to kind of di- put this, to disprove some of the myths that are out there about athletes. I love it, man. And that's one thing I've always loved about you is how inquisitive you are and how willing to learn you are and how open-minded you are about broadening your horizons that way. Let's, let's go back to L.A., Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about people's stories. Uh, you grew up in L.A., and, mm-hmm. and I wonder how, you know, how did that experience shape you? What was your experience growing up and how that shaped you? I mean, my experience, uh, I grew up in the, you know, I was born in 79, so I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I experienced the riots. Um, I, my folks experienced the Watt riots. I experienced the Reginald Denny, uh, Rodney King riots. Um, I experienced that, which is, uh, I was in the seventh grade. And it was very interesting uh, to see um, a culture in LA that was so, that has so many different cultures, but yet it was so driven uh, with, with, with black folks feeling uncomfortable, feeling not heard, but also looking at the actions, which was tough to identify and understand, but it was also easy to fall in line because we were poor. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when the riots were going on, I'm not afraid to say it, man, we ate good that month because it, there were things going on and there was, there was stuff that we were, you know, my mom raised us. My mom was on uh, government assistance. Um, I was an angel tree kid. Uh, didn't realize it and didn't know it and didn't discover it till I was older, till I was in high school. And I realized because my mom would always kind of shape it in a way of, uh, you know, kind of, as parents now, we, sometimes we, uh, I put it like this, I'm from the, I'm from the belt generation, not the timeout generation. Me too, son. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Me too, brother. Big time. Yeah, so it was, so it was like, if I said no, it, it was no explanation. But then I realized it was no explanation because the explanation was we were poor, we didn't have it. And my mom did not want to let us down and so she was a little bit, I think, disappointed that she did. And so she kind of masked it with, with a little bit of anger. And so there was times where I was not allowed to ask why. And so I've grown up asking why all the time. Mm. And, it's, and it's also made me where, I guess, to some degree, my wound is I was told no so many times that now as an adult, man, you're not going to tell me no. If you do, I at least want to know why. Give me an explanation. You know, is it because I'm not good enough or is it because I've done something wrong? And so just, you know, that's really one, been one of the things. And so, you know, as I've grown up I, in L.A., I see for all the years I played ball, I had survivor's guilt. And I went back and every time I go back to L.A., even at 41 years old, I take the bus route in the rental car or whatever car I'm in because it just recharges me. It reminds me of where I've come from. You know, I, I grew up in taking that Wilshire bus to 320 or to 20. Um, the 320 means that um, 
it, it, it's expressed, so it doesn't stop at every stop, but um, it only stopped at major stoplights, major highways. Uh, so I go that route on Wilshire and just reminds me of the bus routes that I would take or the Pico bus, which would go through uh, Beverly Hills. And I used to imagine and wonder what it was like for those people in those homes. What was it like to, to, to live in a house? Uh, what is it like to have a fence, a dog? Until this day, until probably about last year, man, I, I've always wanted a dog. I always wanted that, that fence with the dog in it. And now I have a dog. It's, she's an excellent dog. It's, she's a Belgian Malinois. Um, and man, I love that dog to death. And, and it's, it's, it's uh, just one of those little things that football would never tell you, man. This dude grew up, has, I can buy anything I want, but yet, man, all I want is, you know, just a little dog. <laughs> you know, I wonder, hearing you say that and, and not being able to ask why sometimes, it, it kind of where it sent me, I don't know what this is about, but can I show you who's calling me right now? Who's that? King Griffey Jr. How about that? Oh, I, I know Ken. I, let Griffey? me text him. Let me I, text I have no him idea tell, what that's about. Let me text him and say, hey, I'm talking to Marty. <laughs> you should. Hey, man, I, I'm talking to Marty right now. I'm telling him, hey. <laughs> Travis, I, I don't even know what to say, man. We're on, with, we're on with one future Hall of Famer and another Hall of Famer's calling the phone. That's the craziest thing ever. Yeah, I just text him, hey, I'm talking to Marty. Hold on. He'll call you back. That is awesome. So, you know, as you're, as you're discussing with me there about, you know, not being able to always ask why, you know what it made me think, man? What? It made me wonder if in, in that life that you grew up in where you didn't control very much, right, your circumstances were controlling so much of your life, were you drawn to football because it was between those lines you were able to control no, that's is that, is that way too psychologically deep? That's, or is that... that's way too deep. Okay, okay. I, 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 I was drawn to football because, like every other young man, that's, that's what my dad loved. That's what my grandpa loved. That's what my uncle loved. My uncle went to USC. He was the backup uh, to, you know, to uh, O.J. Simpson. Um, so, you know, and so. I never knew that. Was he really? Yeah, he didn't. My uncle didn't play much. <laughs> well, hey, the juice, man. He's the juice. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but my, for me, my family loved ball, and so I grew up loving ball. Right? You That's know, cool. our, our 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 families, good things and bad things dictates our our love for things, and. And that's why I went to it is because my pop played semi-pro. He, he, he played ball, that, you know, playing on the weekends. I used to watch him. And so, like any other kid, what I want to do? I want to be like my dad. Sure. And so that's why I played ball. But then as I started playing, I started experiencing the, oh, you're too short, you know, or, uh, or just the typical stuff that, let's be honest, man, there's some coaches out there that are coaching young men who can muck it up, right? Who just don't know what they're doing, who discourage, who, who plants things in, th in young men unintentionally that they don't realize is, is damaging or stun a kid's growth for whatever reason because that coach just doesn't know better. So for me, I just played ball because I loved it. And, and I started getting pretty good at it. And then I started falling in love in it with it until the point of where 
uh, it was my first love to like, I want to play in the NFL. Why not? And, and why Santa Monica College? And I think it's fascinating that you and Ocho Cinco were on the field at the same time. That must have been – man, you ain't afraid to talk, bro. And he neither is he. It must have been a constant – y'all, it must have been like the 4th of July out there on that field mm. with you too. No, I wasn't really. Um, I don't talk as much as people think um, on the football field. And at times, I wasn't – I wouldn't even sometimes be talking to my opponent. I would be – talking out loud to myself about the opponent who I'm going against. Hmm. So sometimes uh, a buddy of mine who I ended up playing with in Baltimore, he played with Arizona, um, said how I hurt one of his guy's feelings is I caught a pass stiff on him and I got up to spin the ball and I said, I don't know why they think he can cover me today. And I was not talking to him. Now, he heard the conversation I was having with myself. Now, my mom always told me, it's fine talking to yourself, but it's when you get answered back is the problem. <laughs> uh-huh. right? And so I was talking, I would be talking to them. And, and the reason why is if I go back to that on the bus, I was riding on the bus, an hour and a half, two hour bus ride in L.A. Do you know how many times a daydreaming or sleeping of, Will this be the way my life is where I'm, I'm always on the bus? Um, you know, I have nothing else going on. So a lot of di- internal dialogue that I had that I didn't even know I was training myself to be able to self-motivate. And so it just became part of something that was a, a, a habit. And I took it on and I never have there's times I don't carry myself as the athlete that people believe I am. I carry myself as this guy who always has to prove himself, not because they don't give me credit. It's just because I'm a pessimistic Paul. I grew up in the hood. When you don't have anything, you don't get comfortable with anything. Back to the interview in just a second, but first now back to our interview with Steve Smith. What, what was the culture shock or, or, or the culture difference is probably the fairest way to say it when you go from L.A. to Salt Lake City. And, and now you're in Salt Lake City. You're playing big-time college football. And, and it's a very different environment, I imagine. It, it was. It was only different in this regard. It was, what, four to five. Now it's up to 11% African-American. Right. Um, A lot of the people that were of other cultures had some ties to the University of Utah. But now it's a little bit diverse by the airport is a little more Hispanic. So just like any other city, just like here in Charlotte, it has its areas. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it was a culture shock in meaning that there weren't as many cultures as California. Because I can live back home. I can have, like, I grew up where Hispanic family to the right of my grandmother's spot, um, a Miss Lady, a black lady who had lived there 50 years, right? There, my, grand, my grandparents owned that house from the late 60s till they sold it in 2005. Wow. Wow. Right? So the area I grew up in, it was all kind of folk. You know, Ethiopian, Hispanic, Salvador, 
Ecuador. It was a you know Puerto Rican. It was it was a mixture. So I grew up I grew up with other a whole bunch of other folk. And so I already knew there's a lot of things that, you know, customs that you didn't do, that you didn't disrespect. And so um, when I went to Utah, it was a culture shock. But you know what, though? The culture shock was when I moved to North Carolina. Why? Because it was a different religion, but the same preset disposition. Explain. In Utah, they're Mormon. In Charlotte, at the time I moved, they were Baptist. And in Utah, are you Mormon? No. <laughs> in Charlotte, are you Baptist? No. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, in Utah, you weren't Mormon, so they just didn't fool with you. Here, they talk about you behind your back. Oh, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> uh... You know I ain't lying. No, 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 I know. Um, when you do get drafted here, Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were your dreams or expectations for yourself when they called your name in the third round? I didn't even know where North Carolina was. Uh, I, I didn't get on the airplane until I – the second time I was on the airplane is when I went to Utah and then when we played games. The first time we played an away game, I threw up when we got off the plane. I'd never been on the airplane that long. Wow. You know, so uh, it, it, was, it was very different. It was – you know, I, I, we took the Greyhound to Vegas, right? That's, that's – <laughs> That's, that's what we did. That's, a, that's how we, I wouldn't say how poor we were, but that was the standard. Um, so it's, it's, I was just, I, man, I just wanted to get an opportunity to go to college, play ball and go to the league. And what I experienced was a whole bunch of strangers building inside of me and loving on me that I owe a debt of gratitude. Huh. Interesting. Uh, explain that further. So when you got into the Carolina organization. No, I'm talking about Utah. Like oh, going you're talking to Utah, about Utah. Okay. 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 Going to Utah, then going to Carolina, which is, I had already been so much, ex- been exposed to so many strangers that gave me so much love that were building into me. When I came here I as you. a profession, I was just like, man, I just, I'm just going to make it. And the first time you touch the football in the league, you house it. Yeah, but that was the only game we won. And How, what was it, yeah, I was gonna what, like? What was that like? It was really strange because it was also the week after it was nine eleven. Mm-hmm. So that was ex, that, that was an experience, right? Um, and and then we pretty much lost every game from there. George Seifert and being a Forty ers fan, it, it it was just it was weird. It was. Uh, it was like any other thing. Like it was like when you get your first job and you think you're gonna make all this money, and you get your first job, and that dude named Pfeiffer, uh, when he gets <laughs> all your taxes, you're like that bastard. <laughs> it's disappointing. 2003 was a very special year in this town. Uh, what stands out most from that year? The resilience um, of our team, just all the the all the ups but really the impactful downs, the impactful downs of Mark Fields getting cancer, um, Sam Mills, one of the greatest Panthers of all time, getting cancer, um, you know, us becoming the cardiac cacks. Just everything, it's like everything you imagine, it just slowly, at the end of it, when I look back, it fell into place. 
But as you're going through it, man, you're just trying to hold it together and keep it together and, 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 and allow the ride to continue. How, how has Sam Mill – like that's been one thing that's been a constant since that year in this city mm. is keeping Sam's passion and legacy alive. Describe the passion from the organization to make sure that he, he's remembered that way. Because Sam was not um, – Sam was total opposite of me, which is, uh, you know, I could be loud at times, but Sam was more methodical. He maneuvered in and out behind the scenes. Uh, there were a number of stories I've told about Sam that um, my rookie year, we weren't very good, but yet I wasn't getting any run at wide receiver. And I didn't – I did not – it was not settling in with me just being a returner. I knew that I always wanted to be a wide receiver. I wanted to be a, with the the cards, the thousand yard club, right? The <laughs> upper deck thousand yard club, out, yeah, you know, man. tops. You know, I wanted to be a part of that, and I and I wasn't getting that opportunity. And Sam used to always tell me, "Just keep working, right? Just keep working." Sam was always one of those guys. He noticed you outside of his position, but yet the people that the the linebackers that he would coach endeared him just as much so he, his impact was one of those um as as a father his impact as a man when you sit back you go man i hope one of my kids impacts people the way sam mills did yeah yeah he uh he was certainly special and his his his, his legacy is revered in our city and it should be yep. you know it should be I, it should be I, I think about you know you were talking about wanting to be part of the thousand yard club 2005, you had one of the best years ever. You know, you're coming off a serious leg injury in 04. You missed the whole season, and then you come back and lead the league in receptions, yards, touchdowns. Who was Steve Smith just then? I, I, it was a guy that I, I – I don't want to say I figured it out, but it started to come together because I was doing some things that allowed me to have a plan. Um, where it started to begin of where – he started to understand the professional, how to be a professional and, and being a professional me behind closed doors where I hired a, uh, a sports psychologist to understand how to have long-term, short-term goals, daily goals, uh, lifetime goals, uh, having a purpose. And um, to this day, I still have the book. I still have my, my things that, I have goals on there that I have marked off and that, and they weren't just football. It was financial, being able to buy my parents a place, being able to do something for my, my, my wife's family, uh, to, to be considered, um, the franchise, the, the best wide receiver in franchise history. That was February 12, 2002, 2003. And every year for about five years, I would have those goals and I had daily goals. I had weekly goals, uh, short-term, long-term, lifetime. And just being able to do that and where I learned and I started creating to-do lists outside of football, you know, what is my to-do list in the off season? Uh, what's my goals? I played with a heart rate monitor. I trained in off season with a heart rate monitor. Um, understanding that I had a trainer. I had the same trainer for eight years mm. of my career. I had a massage therapist, the same massage therapist during the season, every Friday at two o'clock, right? So I just had a routine, right? I could tell you right after, right around, right after 
Valentine's Day, I would start training with my trainer and we had a routine. I would do all of these things that now I'm glad I don't have to deal with because it was, it was time consuming. It was a, it was a checks and balances that really I was so focused and hunkered down on my craft. Um, what were a couple I, of those things? Man. If you, um, if you could remember them. Which one? The goals? Like those things that you're glad you don't have to do now that were so oh, meticulous man. so that you could be the greatest wide receiver in Carolina Panthers history. Um, so I literally drank once an off season. It didn't touch a, a, a lick of alcohol and, and really still don't to this day. Never liked beer. Don't drink beer. Not interested, but I would take a trip once a year with guys or with the fam. And then I'll sit, I'll have alcohol. My kids to this day have only seen me order a drink twice. I have a 22, 19, uh, 15 and six year old. And they were like, they have never, they have never seen me <laughs> consume alcohol. They, we were out and on the family vacation. Now that I'm retired, and they were like, "Dad ordered a drink, <laughs> right?" And just things like that, like they never have seen it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take supplements till later in my career because I didn't want it, you know, to take the wrong thing and people be like, "Oh, I knew that little midget was cheating," you know. I knew he could, you know, just all of those things like that. Um, um, what about the sport? What about the sports psychology aspect? Who kind of pushed you that way? My agent, um, my agent is really good friends. They used to be with a, a, a college golf coach. And he suggested it because they were starting to see um, that the sports psychology and athletes were really going hand in hand. Yep. Um, so it was that. And then a friend of mine talked about, um, because uh, I was having an issue with my hydration and I would cramp. And so they would say, well, why are you cramping? So they put a heart rate monitor on me. And one day they discovered my heart rate would go so high. And if you go back to my earlier years, you would see on my right arm, there was always a wristband. And that was my polar watch. Oh, yeah. And my heart rate, or my heart rate would, my trainer would see it. And we would, so we would simulate in the off season game like. So what was game like? My my highest heart rate after a big play, say a fifty yard, thirty five yard, a twenty yard run. What do you think my heart rate would be? One. So this is max heart rate after a play like that. I'm gonna say it max was. I'm gonna say it was somebody in your condition. One seventy two. That was my resting. What? 225. Oh, my God. I've never been able to get – now, I'm not a world-class athlete either, but I think the highest I've ever gotten my heart rate, even when I was running marathons and doing all the triathlons and stuff I love, was like 180-something. How in the hell did you not die? Seriously. That's what, and that's why we started monitoring it, because they couldn't figure out why I was cramping what was going on, I would burn 4,300 calories, which would mean I lost about five to seven pounds in a game. That's insane, dude. And, and to be able to monitor that. So when I trained in off season, we would simulate going into training camp. I, he would not allow my heart rate to get over 160. 
because if it got over 160, that means I would peak too early, which meant when I'm in training camp, I'm in regular season shape. And then when I get to regular season, I'm in playoff shape. And when we get to playoffs, I'm burnt out. Right. And so just that's scientific. So they were like, all right, we got this. We got the mental aspect. We got this. And it just became, bro, a business. Oh, yeah. It's a, that, playing football is a full-time job. You were a business. Yep. Yes. And, and so doing that, and, and one of the things my trainer would do, and it was, I hated him for it, and I would say it was BS. <laughs> bro, he had me train on a treadmill, and he, would cut, he had cut off the 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 power cord and I would make it go by me physically making it go it wasn't on now it was my treadmill that was on that Steve's treadmill that's how he would train me and I'm like he was like all right treadmill time <laughs> I'm running on a treadmill and it's not it cannot even be plugged up yeah it's ridiculous and and very difficult just for the record yeah well, there's no reason that, that you achieved those heights with that kind of conviction to be great. Uh, I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier about the football player versus the man. Mm-hmm. Kind of describe that juxtaposition between the, the ferocity with which you played the game and demanded excellence of yourself versus the day-to-day guy that is Steve Smith. The day-to-day guy is very uh, closed off to people. Um, because of the way I was raised and experienced some of the things, the traumas that uh, that I experienced. My mom is a survivor of domestic violence. Uh, what I witnessed, uh, what I saw, um, how I kept that in, and how that, uh, to this day, um, makes me not trust a lot of people. Um, I mean, the fact that I'm on your podcast and we've had our we've had each other's numbers for years, and yet. Uh, I barely reach out is because it's not that I feel like I'm better, man. I, I battle with, um, I battle with, uh, with understanding, like I like solitude, but I have conditioned myself over years that isolation is better. And, and, and to be honest, it isn't. Um, it's been actually something for me, it's been detrimental because that's what I get in my own head, I overthink things. So as I've gotten older, I start to realize that, I do need a community of people. And I've had to see counseling on it, not because I'm crazy, but just identifying you cannot make this journey of life on your own to the point of where even at family gatherings, my wife would be like, babe, it's Thanksgiving. Where are you at? And I would quietly creep into the other room. <laughs> sure. Yep. Right. And I'm always like, what, what's going on? What do we do? And I just would have that in me where, it was nothing anyone did. I was just, bro, I, at the end of it, man, I was just f-ing in the head, right? I didn't realize it, didn't know what habits I had in myself that I need to address and kind of walk through. And so now it's like, there are times where I'm like, ah, and I'm like, no, it's not that I'm tired of people. I just kind of, that's that. I still got to just continue to keep working on myself and say, hey, relax. Everybody's not out to get you. Yeah, and that's such a difficult thing when it's ingrained in you that deeply. I I kind of experienced that a little bit with my own dad. Mm -hmm. And it just speaks so well to your willingness to have that self-awareness because it takes self-awareness to break down that personal wall, much less what somebody else may be trying to break down. It's your own wall. 
and and it's like you're just such a beautiful person and you have such great perspective that I'm so glad you're in that place because you have so much to offer so many people and and myself included and I wonder you know uh there's not a whole lot I want back in this life, Steve. I've made mistakes and I've hurt people and I hate myself for certain things, but all of those things because of self-awareness mm. molded me and brought me yes, to sir. this moment where I'm talking to you right now. And I have all of the blessings in my life because I was willing to look in the mirror and go, man, that was stupid. And then go seek out the people that I hurt or the mistake I made and say, I am genuinely sorry. And I'm going to work so hard to regain your trust. Do you, do you want anything back? Because you are in this beautiful place with a beautiful family and a beautiful life. What do you want back? You know, it's funny is I, I, I've thought about that. And if I got some things back, I'm just not sure what it would alter or how, how maybe would it have altered your path? Because yes. if you get things back, sometimes you're enabled or, or you, you didn't you, so, have to take your damn medicine. Yeah. Or you really miss out on the, the, the you miss out on the gift That's that, right. that at the time you're going through, there was a curse. That's it. Uh, it's a, it's amazing. Isn't it? I mean, yeah, it is. and that's all very self-aware, you know, going back to therapy or, or people who are able to open up our minds that way. Um, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I got a couple more things, brother, and I'll leave okay. you be. I've kept you way too damn long. Um, but I'm so intrigued, uh, as you know, you and I've had private conversations about your relationship with Cam. And you said the other day on Cut To It, that at times you admittedly were a little bit of a dick to Cam. That's quite an admission for well, you. I, I, and it wasn't. It wasn't particularly him. It was the in general. Just in general of, bro. When you are, and I and I phrase it this way: when you are a certain age, and you know the clock is ticking, there just are things that. Sometimes you just go, man, I ain't got time for this, right? When, when, you're, when you're on the, right? If you're in a hurry in a car and you're driving behind someone really slow, you, you go around them, right? <laughs> or you're blowing them up with your horn or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the whole thing, you know, that people said is there's been so many stories that sometimes, like one of the articles that was written, a, a guy says, I was concerned that Cam was taking my limelight. This the kid is drafted in the he got the uh, Heisman first overall pick, um, you know, uh, national championship. He's not taking anything from me. One, I'm on the sorry ass team because we got the first pick. <laughs> Fair <laughs> point. Right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> He's the, he's the guy, but also, you know, I'm running my routes and I'm trying to, and I want to win and I want to, you know, obviously retire be, and get a championship before. And it's just like, you know, there was a process in which sometimes we all get impatient. Like if we're in a hurry, that car is in front and the car is the team. We're not doing very good. And I'm included in that. So I want to get around it. And, and so it wasn't people pin me against Cam because that's the quarterback, but it's more of 
that's why I did my podcast and kind of told my truth because there were people like, oh, Steve's this or he's that. It's like, look, man, I, I was ready to win, right? I was in my 13th year. I played three years after that. It was a brilliant – I will tell you, as somebody who has been a Carolina Panthers fan for 20 years and, again, just adores you not only as a person but certainly as a player – uh, I always wondered that too. And when I listen to it and I'm listening to you walk through all of the different dynamics that were involved and Dave Gettleman yes. and what a train wreck all of that was and going to Mr. Richardson and hoping to get traded so that you could have the opportunity to win before you were done. Look, I'll just say this. We don't need to discuss it here. When y'all are done listening to Steve on Marty Smith's America, go to cut to it. You will be educated so well on and he was so vulnerable in explaining it all i, I implore you to, to go to it and and since i'm a podcast guy subscribe rate and review to steve's uh steve's podcast too because all that stuff matters it, um, it does i i think what i tried to do because i did do a good job and people think it was like oh it's, steve always tells us how he feels i do but i don't and when I played, I presented myself at times the way that I, I felt that audience or that circle, of, that circle of people wanted. So if a guy felt that I was a high head or I was dumb, I gave him a dumbass answer because he felt I was stupid. So why give him something that he's not going to print anyway because that won't fit his narrative? So I if I tell, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Steve, I say all the time, I, I get asked often, and forgive me, I'm not trying to, to be cool no, here or, 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 or boastful. No, but be you. I've built a really nice relationship with Coach Saban, who is a tough nut with the Oh, media. yes, he is. And I say all the time when people ask me about that, they're like, how do you get him to go there? Or what I'm like, it's really simple. If you're prepared and he can tell that you're prepared and that you respect his time in that preparation – He's going to reciprocate it. If you show up unprepared, he's going to reciprocate it. Mm -hmm. And it's the energy that you give him is what you're getting back. And it's the same thing you're saying right there. It is true. It is true because they try to play us, right? They, you know, sometimes the media portrays the relationship. The media person is the middleman between the team and the fans. And sometimes that media person portrays either relationship is more than what it is. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it's like, Oh, you know, I know how Steve is. And it's like, bro, you don't know me. You know, and here's why I know they don't know me. I'm 41. I'm 41 years old. Hell, I just told you I'm seeking counseling to even know myself. So how is it that I live with myself every day and I'm still going, Hmm. I didn't notice that about me. Oh, wow. So you unprofessional psychologist knows more about me than I even know about myself. And you, you only spent 10 hours, 10 minutes with me two days a week for 13 years. Yeah, you get a sense, but you don't really, really know because I've discovered I'm really, I'm, I'm finding out. And, and on my podcast, we're finding out things about people that you're like, Wow, I didn't know that was coming because you didn't ask. And really, be honest, they don't care. They really don't. That's one thing about sports that I think people 
fans do, but most media people don't. They really, I, and I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about the ones who are the beat writers, right? They're, they're posi- you're just a bus stop for them to go wherever they're trying to go. And I look at it like, you ain't using me to get in first class. Well, I'll, I'll just say, you know, <clears throat> I, I always have cared so much about relationships. I, I just have, and it's who I am. And um, I've been criticized for that at times because I do care so much about the people that I cover and want to learn about their lives and, and their families and all those things. And so uh, I'm, I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful for your time. And I got one more because this yeah. is important because this okay. is coming up, dude. We're coming up on it here. Oh, You're a Hall of Famer. Uh, there's oh, no question man. about it in my mind. No, hold on, hold on. Leave this the meeting I, button. That's all I care. Like, I'm going to ask you the question, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want. You can if you want. How deeply do you care or hope that you're in Canton? Let me get my book and tell you. Hold on. Oh. I'm going to tell you right now, this is gold. So I'm going to show right, I'm you. I'm ready. I like gold. All right. So you can see this book. Right there, what does it say? Uh, it says sports psychology, very large okay. on Steve's Trapper Keeper. Yep, it's very, very fat. Got a lot of pages in it. A lot of papers. So the guy I used to meet with, so right here, so that says, what does that say? You see it? All right, it says uh, Steve Smith goal plan, February 2003, vision statement and dream goal. Oh, to be elected to the NFL Hall of Fame. Okay. Let's see here. Vision statement to be elected to the NFL Hall of Fame, continue to be a loving husband and father, become a role model for achieving success in the right way by keeping my priorities in order, use my foundation to create positive focus and morals in the children and families we serve. September 2004. And it's like that, bro, till. October 2007. Yep. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like people look at, people look at athletes or look at me and say, we're a dumb job. You have no idea what these men and women of this profession, not all of this, not all, everybody takes it this extreme, but also not everybody thinks it's an easy way out of life. That's what it means to me. It means something that is deeply ingrained in me. Like walking, being in the Hall of Fame is as important to me as walking my only daughter down the aisle one day when she gets married. And when a preacher says, who gives this lady away? And I say, I, Steve Smith Sr., gives this lady away. That's what it means to me. You're an amazing dude, man. Um... Uh, I, I'm so, so, so appreciative uh, of your time and your vulnerability because, look, I, I'll tell you this. I know you've changed so many lives through your philanthropy and what you do with Samaritan's Feet and what you've done. And even in our community here in Charlotte, you are revered in this town. And uh, I'm grateful to call you a friend. And what you said on this podcast and the things that you're going to say on cut to it are going to impact lives. They're going to change lives and they might save lives. And thank you 
thank you for who you are and for giving me the time and for blowing up Griffey Jr. and telling him he, he needs to wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Did he reply to you? He replied no, to me. No, he left me a voicemail, so I don't, I'll have to see what he needs. I just, I'll be honest laugh. with you, dude. I don't, I don't know. I met, I met Griffey. I met Ken at Coach Saban's golf tournaments three, couple, three years ago. I don't think he's ever called me. He's a good dude. Might be the first. Griffey's a great dude. We we ran into each other. Um, I don't know how we ran into each other. Um, and then we exchanged numbers, and then we actually exchanged jerseys. So I have a Ken Griffey oh Jr. jersey. Oh my gosh, jersey. I'm jealous. When me I, too. Like you're younger than me, bro. You're 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 a couple three years younger than me. But when I was a kid, what that dude did. I mean, he made oh, he made yeah. baseball cool again. Yes. The backwards hat and the most gorgeous baseball swing that's God ever put in somebody. Robbing people of home runs in center field. Man, just what a stud. And he can hit a golf ball a country mile. Mile. Well, I I can hit it too, but sometimes it just go left or right. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, brother. Mine's like an airplane banking. Uh, Hey, man, I appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Let's break this down while it's still fresh on our minds. Uh, my admiration for that man. Look, I, 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 holy crap. Holy smokes. Good gracious. I, an, an interview does not get better than that. And that is not me. That is Steve. That is – you can be a really good question asker, guys, or a, a, have great thoughts in your mind. The interviewee has to invest. If I, the interviewee doesn't invest, it doesn't matter how good you are. And that man's path and his vulnerability in describing his life and the evolution of himself as a man and the self-accountability and the self-awareness fires me the hell up. I, I am so appreciative of him. I, all I knew of Steve Smith is basically what the media, what has been shown. I, did, I don't know him. I briefly met him once when he came on Mike and Mike a couple years ago when I was working on the show, but knew basically nothing. Just other, I did a quick little research before the podcast, but for him to open up like that was amazing. And the, some of the things that he said uh, just had me sitting there just thinking, um, wow. And then for him to pull that binder out and to see how detailed he took everything. There's a reason he was as successful. He's – listen, Travis, I can't tell you how revered he is in our town. I can't tell you how much people in this city love that man. And we were all so pissed off when he went to the Ravens. Like, we were all so mad because we felt like he got used up, man. We felt like his his contribution was not appreciated and and – Quite frankly, we knew he could steal ball. I mean, I um, look. I, I I got to know Steve a little bit through a mutual friend, and and within that, uh, I I gained such a amazing perspective on his mind. He he is such an intelligent human being, and and the way that he looks at things changed my way of looking at things and well we mentioned it a couple podcasts ago 
chess and i feel like his mind he is a chess player it, yeah. like he's already thinking ahead of what you're what you're thinking about he's already past that he's his mind is just it's amazing to listen to him well i can't wait to hear what you guys think of this because um i'm floored and and i just sent smitty a, a thank you text i will write him a thank you letter but i sent him a thank you text and um, I'm going to keep his response to me private, but it means the world to me. Uh, I also, it, speaking of messages, uh, I'm curious once we get off this podcast to get a text from me to find out what uh, Ken Griffey wanted. I mean, I know I got to listen to that voicemail. Well, I mean, I, I'm, we've had a lot of cool moments on this podcast, but for something that have Steve Smith on and Ken Griffey to try to call you might be the coolest moment we've had with this podcast. It's pretty awesome. Uh, again, you got one Hall of Famer and a guy who's going to be a Hall of Famer. What an answer to his desire to be in Canton, Ohio. Oh, my gosh. Like, as important as walking my baby girl down the aisle and when they ask who gives this woman, I'm going to say I do, Steve I, Smith Sr. That's what it means to me. I appreciate him saying that because I think a lot of players would try to maybe downplay it a little bit and, you know, Oh, I'd like, I'd like to be in, but you know, blah, blah, blah. I appreciate him basically, you know, saying like, it is this important to me. You know, another thing that I love about, about the, as guys, we're downloading this interview real time in our heads as, as Steve just hung up with us. And you know what I loved about that interview too, is when, if I made an inference, it takes a very unique brand of self-confidence and honesty for like, you know, when I said, Hey, I wonder if psychologically you gravitated to football for the, no, I love that. He's like, no, 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 man, you're way overthinking this. I gravitated to football because of being around the game the way I was and wanting to do what daddy did. And I just, I, guys, we've done a lot of fun interviews on this platform. Uh, that is as enlightening and, and what's like uh, fulfilling. That's as fulfilled as I've ever felt doing an interview in this podcast format. This interview, I'm going to just go ahead and say, filled up everybody's tank if they listened to it and, yep. uh, and truly listened to it and took it in. Uh, it's, you know, especially because what I said earlier is what people think they know about Steve is not what was just now on the podcast and that includes you right yeah i mean yeah. when you think steve smith you think ice up when he's you know walking off the field talking trash this hard guy coming across the middle gonna blow your top off you know strictly business and you know i, I you obviously know that athletes are different when they're on the field but to get it the way that we just got it with steve you know yeah i, I was sitting there know, just like multiple times I just said to myself, wow. Me too. Me too. And the, the, the willingness to be, I keep going back to that word vulnerable, the willingness to be that vulnerable and share with the public. Sometimes I'm a Thanksgiving man and I just kind of got to go off and be by myself. Uh, I like, what did he, I think he said, I love, I like solitude, but I love isolation. Yeah. I mean, who, that is living, like, I, I just, um, 
I'm grateful for him. I'm so appreciative that he I, would he would offer that perspective to us because it's, I, listen, I said it to him and I mean it. A guy like that who's so publicly visible being willing to say those things. There's going to be somebody who listens to this podcast who needs to hear that. I'm better now. We're taping where it's at 115 right now. We started at 12. I'm better an hour later as a person because I'm a better man too. And, and it's, it's that, it's that testimony. That's what it is. I know Steve's a Christian. Steve loves Jesus. That testimony that he just gave us uh, makes me a better man too. That's very well said, Travis. And, uh, I'm just – I hope you guys feel the same way we did. Please let us know. Uh, my wedding ring just went flying off. Hold on. Lainey will be thrilled to learn that. Uh, she won't know. I was, know. Fi- she I was fiddling, fiddling with my wedding band, and it just went flying across the room. Well, lucky for you, unless someone tells her, she won't know because she don't listen to this podcast. That's a good point. Very good point. Fair point. Don't, don't rat on Marty people. Um, Wow. Th- thanks. Thanks so much to Steve. Uh, I look forward to seeing him soon. I haven't seen him in a while because of COVID, uh, whatnot, but. You know, before you say goodbye though, I think, uh, we taped this a couple of weeks ago and we never, when we were taping, we didn't get the answer of Ken Griffey Jr. He, they just heard in the interview, he kind of almost interrupted the podcast and all it was, and I thought this was the coolest thing ever. And I was already a fan of Ken but it just grew even more. He just called to just check in to say, see how you're doing, because obviously everyone knows things are crazy right now. And I just thought it was cool that he just wanted to see how you're doing. It blew my mind. Uh, and I called him back. That was an, actually, it's a very interesting day. I called him back a couple Wednesdays ago and I was driving down to Marty and McGee and called him and, and he was like, no, nah, man, I don't need anything. I just want to see how you're doing, how your family's doing, make sure everybody's healthy. And I, I just, it's it, it's so beyond comprehension that a guy that I had on my wall as a kid who was just the coolest cat, wore his hat backwards, had the most beautiful natural baseball swing ever created by the good Lord above. And he's hollering at me just to see if I'm all right and my family's all right. It just, um, yes, it meant so much to me, and I told him that. I said, I, and I told him all that stuff about him being on my wall too, so it ain't weird. Like I've got, it. I've got multiple T-shirts with his photo on it, like, and then for him just to call just to just to say hi. Yeah, it was amazing. What an amazing guy. Uh, just I thought that was just so neat of him, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, thank you so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country, uh, working hard to keep these communities safe. Uh, first responders, our firemen running into the flames to, to, to save lives and, and our United States military all over the globe, man, working hard and sacrificing to keep us free. Um, and so it's time for me to get out of here, y'all. I have a week coming up. I have two football games this week. I have Arkansas State at Appalachian State Thursday in Boone. I have a lot of studying to do on both of those teams. And then I have North Carolina State at UNC Saturday in Chapel Hill. Uh, I was supposed to have had North Carolina a couple weeks ago when Virginia Tech visited Chapel Hill. Ultimately, didn't do that game. But so I have at least a little bit of an idea what Carolina has. I got to do some studying on Coach Dorn's team, uh, NC State. But long story short, I have a lot of studying to do this week. And and real quick about last Saturday, y'all, I saw Clemson for the first time in person. Holy smokes, man. Buzzsaw. 
Trevor Lawrence throws for 404, uh, probably could have thrown for 1,000 yards if he would have stayed in the whole game. And they put up 73 on, on Jeff Collins and the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and it was a whooping. But and, – and look, Clemson's great. They're a complete football team. I don't know I, – I don't see a weakness. I don't know what the weakness would be. They are – they fly around defensively, and it's – their whole there's 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 22 or 24 guys rotating in and out of that defense who are flying to the football. And Dabo Sweeney told me last week he loves to pause the tape and just see how many orange hats, orange helmets are in the shot when the tackle is made. Um, you you know what's really scary too about this Clemson offense specifically? They're without Justin Ross. Yeah, that's true. Like, he's one of the best. Yeah, one and, of the best. He's one of the top you, five and, wide receivers in the country. And, and you wouldn't really know it if you just turn the TV on right now. And the thing is, they're also, to be honest with you, they're, they're also without Joseph Ngata, who is, if you don't know that name, remember that name. Because you talk about physical freaks. He's got like a Terrell Owens, Terrell, Terrell Owens type of body and skill set. And he's been banged up a little bit. He hasn't. He played a little bit Saturday, but he's not quite there yet. And Dabo told us leaving camp, Ngata would have been the guy that he said, that guy's going to have the breakout year. That guy's going to be the guy. And then, you I mean, you throw in – Amari Rogers is an NFL player right now. They have a kid named EJ Williams who actually went to the same high school as Justin Ross, who is kind of like Justin Ross, only faster – and it's just like, what? And then you have Travis Etienne in the backfield who is, you know, kind of like um, – I mean, he's, 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 a, he's a freak. I mean, he's a freak. His yards after catch are just jaw-dropping. He's the best running back in the country. Yeah, he is the best running back in the country. But you're, you're, you're burying the lead, though. Clemson's great. But, Marty? Ohio Go State ahead, Travis. Point. I know where you're going. It's Monday, and I have a game to look forward to. Yes, you do, sir. Ohio State will be back. It's going to be weird. I've had a stress-free fall so far where I could just enjoy teams losing and screwing up their season. But now it's time for my boys to take Is that the game field. in Lincoln or the shoe? Come on. It's in the shoe? It's at the shoe. Okay. Well, and yep. Justin Fields gets to take the, take the field. And, man, I, I'm still a little nervous that the game goes off because, as you know, anything can happen. But – to get to see him back on the field after where we thought we it was going to end, I'm just excited for Saturday to get. Yeah, here. man, it's it's Christmas morning for Travis, y'all. Uh, it's going to be fun, and it's going to feel more complete again. You know that having the Big Ten back is going to feel more complete. College game day is going to uh, Minnesota for uh, Coach Harbaugh and and the boys going to row the boat up to, Min- up to Minnesota to try to row the boat. And it's just going to feel more complete because one thing about college football is that the head coaches are superstars. And when you have guys like, like Ryan Day and Harbaugh and James Franklin, and I love Scott Frost. I know it's like a lot of people don't, don't see it. But look, there's a lot of variables and, and individuals as to why we're playing college football. I said on the broadcast last Saturday that Trevor Lawrence, without Trevor Lawrence being so staunch 
in the We Want to Play movement. He led it. He led the We Want to Play movement. And without that, in my opinion, we're probably not balling right now. And because Justin Fields jumped in right behind him, Fields started going on, you know, whatever it was, Good Morning America with Michael Strahan and whatever else, right, to discuss this. And so there's a lot of variables involved, but Scott Frost, in my opinion, and the, and the conviction that he had in his press conference were also a variable. And so, and the parents and, uh, and all the, you know, certainly rapid testing was a major part of it. I'm not naive. That was, that was everything. But ultimately, the Big Ten's going to be playing this weekend and it's going to feel more complete across the college football landscape. It's going to be fun. Um, all right. We'll shut up now. Oh, We've before you go, though. 90 minutes of y'all's time. The Chanticleers are finally ranked. As they should be. That's a huge win they had the other night, man. I had to get that shot up, but we got to go because we've taken way too much time. Also, one other note on that. Uh, Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports does a season, uh, a weekend wrap-up every week on Yahoo Sports, and he shouted us out for naming Teddy's mullet the Chanticleer Chandelier. Really? I didn't that? know that. I got to go find it. Yeah, he sure did. All right. Y'all be good. Have an amazing week. This is Marty Smith's America. Subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate y'all. We'll try better next time around. See you.